Amen. Hey, that's right, page 110. What is the meaning of life? We're going to do a little recap and continue on in our intro to apologetics, which means to apologize for being a Christian. No, that's right. It took 19 times, but you finally got it. At least Bobby did. Uh, so we built, uh, dealt with that issue with the, what are people skeptical about today? What do we need to give a defense of? Well, certainly God's existence. And we saw everything has a beginning, which implies a beginner, i.e. God. Everything has a design, which implies a designer, i.e. God. What about evolution or evolution that does spawn evil? Well, that's a bunch of baloney. We took a major detour, dealt with that. Uh, what about uh, this universal moral law? Where did that come from? This inherent sense of right and wrong? Well, it came from a universal moral lawgiver, i.e. God. What about the Bible? Did that really come from God, or was that just a book whipped up by men? How many of you guys heard that one? Full of contradictions and errors. We dealt with that extensively. No, that's uh, the only book on the planet uh, that really did come from God. What about evil and suffering? If God is real, how, how, what, how do you explain all that? I thought he was a God of love, and why is that happening? And so we dealt with that. Is Jesus really the Son of God, and did Jesus really rise from the dead? Uh-huh. Uh-huh, twice on that one in stereo. Uh, yes, he is, and yes, he did, okay? Uh, and what is the meaning of life is where we were uh, the last couple of weeks. Now, we've already seen you don't need, the good news is don't waste 40 days. It shouldn't take you 40 days to figure out your purpose, with all due respect, okay? In four seconds, you can just learn to glorify God, grow up in your relationship with God, and get the gospel out. That took three, maybe four seconds, okay? You don't need to go on a God hunt, okay? You don't have to wonder, oh, you know. And if that's where your walk is with Jesus, something's wrong. If it feels like God's a million miles away and you got to hunt for him, guess who moved, okay? You did, not God. Now, we saw the problem is, even though as Christians we know better, the world's out there even after we get saved. Not, it doesn't stop, you know, when we get saved. And they're out there trying to say, no, this is the meaning of life. This is what you need to run. Okay, yeah, yeah, you got saved. But you need to run after this. You need to do this. And that's how you're going to find meaning and purpose in life. Money, wisdom, education, fame, power, fun, accomplishments, and relationships. Okay, as we saw there, we began to break it down. If I, I'd, be, I'd be happy if I just uh, get a better, more education. We said, well, there's nothing wrong with education. If you do it God's way, the purpose of an education is to show yourself approved unto God. That's not what education is today. It's to get a good job, and a good job is one that earns a lot of money. Why? Because you need money to buy these things that you don't need to impress people you don't know who in the end don't even care. That's meaningless. As Ecclesiastes tells us, okay, that's not where it's at. They say, well, what about pleasure and fun, right? Isn't that what it's all about? Just please yourself as many different ways. Hey, how many of you guys are tired of eating pig slop? How many of you guys are tired of eating uh, that place right next to the Las Vegas Pain Institute? Do you think that's by chance? For those of you watching the video, that's called Kentucky Fried Chicken. It's right over there. Right? You, getting, you tired of it? You tired of going to the hospital, right? You tired of eating junk? Right, Don, you could, we could have some fun with... Food inspection stories. But anyway, that's right. <laughs> anyway, but anyway, are you tired of that? Listen, I mean, you get sinful fun is sinful, right? And it may seem like fun, but payday comes. And not just sinful fun, but just non-sinful fun. How many times you got to go around that merry-go-round before you go, okay, wow, that's it? That's all it was about? Okay. And, and nothing wrong with uh, healthy fun, but listen, if that's where you think it's all about, just pleasing yourself, it's going to be empty vain and useless as well okay again ask the prodigal son then we said well hey the big one what i'd be happy if i were rich wasn't that it? it's just money fixes it no it doesn't fix everything in fact we saw before the richest people in the world all of them basically had horrible lives in fact you get to a point where you get enough money then all of a sudden uh it becomes to the the aspect where now you got into a whole different set of worries you're worried that somebody's going to take it or you might lose it and all those things uh, as well uh, goes on there. So that doesn't fix it as well. Then we saw, well, wait a second, what about fame and success and reaching the top of your game, so to speak? You know, that's where it's, what well, we saw with the examples. When people do get to the top of their game, what happens? They realize it was so, are you serious? I worked my whole life for that and that didn't fill all my heart. We saw the testimonies. People were wondering, man, maybe I should kill myself. Boris Beck, remember that? Reaching your top of the game. 
That's not where it's at. Okay, what about your career? What about your work? Hey, nothing wrong with working, but guess what? Did you guys realize that anything you do with this side of heaven, uh, quote, work or build or whatever, did you know it's not going to last? Did you know the good news is the planet is going to blow up? Hey, isn't that awesome? Isn't that encouraging? Turn to somebody and say that. Hey, the planet's going to blow up. Let's close in prayer and dismiss. No, right? But isn't that what the world thinks? Oh, you can, you can save the planet and make it. It's going to burn, man. This baby's going to blow up, right? Everything you do, your house, your projects, it's going to, it's going to go, right? Even your accomplishment, your plaques. I'll leave it to my kids and my grandkids, and then you'll see them on the episode of American Pickers. My grandfather gave me this, and I don't even know what it is. He called it a flux capacitor. What do you do with it? I don't know. A hundred bucks. Right? <laughs> they get rid of it. it means nothing to them, right? In the next generation, right? And that's what we saw. But your work that you do for Jesus lasts forever. There's significance in that, uh, is the kind of that. But then we left off. That's right. I couldn't wait for this one. I didn't want to rush through this one. What about relationships, huh? How many of you guys married tonight? How many of you guys married tonight and you didn't raise your hand and you're too scared to raise your hand? <laughs> Let's look at 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Let's see what the wisest man on the whole planet said about relationships, okay, about relationships. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women, and uh, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives. Men, how many guys who are married tonight... <clears throat> would like to have 699 more of your wife. <sighs> that was called a setup, right? That was called a setup. And I, I know, I, I'm sorry, guys, I had to do it. It's like one of those questions Ken almost tried to ask me today. It's like, hey, have you stopped beating your wife yet? Run, don't even try to answer that. You can't win on that one, right? Because if you say, uh, no, well, that means you did. If you say yes, then you, no. Right? So, one wife is enough, and we know that, but all right, let's move on. All right. So, he has 700 wives, right? This one guy, right? and uh, of royal birth, okay? And he had 300 porcupines. I mean, concubines. He was an environmentalist. Uh, and his wives, what? Gave him so much bliss in life, because that's the meaning of life. The more, the merrier. No, they led him astray. Okay, it's the point there. Many young people say things just like this. Hey, I would be happy if only, right? You come to Jesus, you get saved and all that's great stuff and everything. You come to Jesus, you get saved. You say, I'd be happy if I could just find somebody to date or marry, right? You guys ever been there? Hey, you're too scared to reach your hand. Well, give it up for Bobby. All right, let's move on. Uh, if I could only be in a good relationship, that's your blank there. If I could only be in a good relationship, uh, then I would be uh, complete, now, we're going to take a little detour. Hey, Bobby, uh, speaking of uh, raise your hand, could you grab a couple fresh batteries and see if that's what's going on here? Uh, is it cutting out on you guys there? A little bit there? Yeah. And we'll do that. Uh, as Bobby's doing that and being a great servant for us tonight, uh, if the rest of you could sing once again the theme song to Jeopardy. Ready? Go. Hey, bump it up a key. Nah, 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 nah. Nah, nah, nah. Nah, 
nah, nah, nah, nah, nah, nah. Hey, all right, what a teamwork. That's right. But the blank says there, if I could, I could only be in a good relationship, right? A good relationship, then I would be complete. <laughs> right? What, what, what's the word for it there? It's my soulmate. <laughs> I'm just crying, just writing it up there, Tom, because that's the meaning of life. If I could just find that soulmate, it's just perfect, that perfect relationship, that perfect person who, what's the phrase there? You complete me. <laughs> Every time I go into Wendy's and I see that triple bacon cheeseburger, no, it's my wife. I'm still doing the backstroke from the porcupine question. But anyway, uh, but why, excuse me, really? So that's it? Anybody ever been there, right? You're, you're, you're in that crux, you just got saved, right? But you're single, right? I've been there, right? And you sit there, oh, I just, man, being the Christian's great. This is awesome. Jesus is all I've ever needed. I can't wait. I'm going to heaven. This is amazing. But then you hear about this thing called the rapture, and it could happen at any time, and it could happen tonight, and you're sitting there going, okay, that's cool, but I kind of like to get married first. <laughs> could you wait a little bit, Lord? Have you ever been there, right? Because, you know, because you still are holding on. It's just that relationship. If I just had that. Now, again, we're going to see, hello, there's nothing wrong with the relationship, but folks, there is no such thing as a perfect relationship. Okay, there is no such thing as a perfect relationship because and eventually people are going to let you down. But to explode that myth, let me share with you this amazing story. Once upon a time, there was a perfect man and a perfect woman. How many of you guys realize this is a story? Okay, and they met. Well, after a perfect courtship, they had the, the courtship, they had a perfect wedding. Their life together was, of course, perfect. Well, one uh, snowy, stormy Christmas Eve, this perfect couple was driving their perfect car along a winding road, and they noticed that someone at the side of the road in distress... And of course, being the perfect couple, they stopped to help. So there stood Santa Claus, that's right, with a huge bundle of toys. And not wanting to disappoint any of the children on the eve of Christmas, the perfect couple loaded Santa and his toys into their vehicle, and soon they were driving along delivering toys. However, the driving conditions deteriorated, and the perfect couple and Santa Claus had an accident. And only one of them survived the accident. So the mind them in question, who was the sole survivor? The answer... The perfect woman survived. Why? Because she's the only one who really existed in the first place. Uh, everyone knows that there is no Santa Claus and there is no such thing as a perfect man. <laughs> yes, Brandy, pay me to read this. Okay. But, uh, but no, hey, man, we got to stick together, right? Stop thinking about it logically. If you're like me and you think about this, then logically, if there is no perfect man and there is no Santa Claus, that means the so-called perfect woman must have been the one who was driving, which explains why there was an accident in the first place. I'll give you your money back later, honey. <laughs> there is no perfect relationship, right? How many times do we have to fall for that? And that's what he says. Okay, uh, of course there is some truth to this. He's not saying that all relationships are bad and that if you desire to be married, that's not bad, right? That's a good thing. God instituted marriage. Okay, his way, that's the key for good, right? It's not good for man to be alone. That's what he says. Even God said it's not good for man to be alone. Ladies, how many guys can confer, right? We need your help. Okay, on certain things, okay? But this, it's not bad, right? But you're not going to have a perfect relationship, right? And part of it is because, uh, I don't know if you guys have learned this in marriage yet, but um, did you realize, <laughs> did you realize you married somebody who, who has a sin nature? <laughs> Raise your hand. Can you believe that? You wake up one day and you go, what? What did I do? Right? Right? And then guess what? They just married somebody who what? Has an even bigger one than them. Right? And so guess what? We're not perfect. We have a sin nature. We still blow it this side of heaven, right? Praise God when we get to heaven and the sin nature's gone. 
But hey, we're not there yet. So you're going to do some things that hurt, right? And so if you think you put all your eggs in this basket, if I just have that perfect relationship, life is full of meaning and purpose, and that whole amount, oh, not condoning it, but sometimes you hurt each other, right? And then it goes right out the window, right? So we all have a sin nature, okay? And uh, it's, you know, it's, it's not all it's cracked up to be. It's not that marriage is bad, but don't sit here and think it's going to be perfect, soulmate, perfect, you're never going to, right? Uh, it's just not going to happen. One guy, there's this, uh, actually a lady, she was a dietitian, and she was addressing this large audience in Chicago, and she re- began her presentation with this. Ready, Don? The material we put in our stomachs is enough to have killed most of us sitting here years ago. Red meat is awful, and soft drinks erode our stomach lining, and Chinese food is loaded with MSG, and vegetables can be disastrous, and and none of us realizes the long-term harm caused by the germs in our drinking water. But there is one thing, she said, that is the most dangerous of all, and we all have or will eat it. Can anyone here tell me what food it is that causes the most grief and suffering for years after eating it? And just then, the 75-year-old man stood on the front row and says, wedding cake. Man, I see you think I'm pessimistic. No, I'm realistic, right? Right, there's good times, enjoy it. We're going to get to it, hopefully, because i got to make up the ground after this. Uh, that, you know, you can, you can have good times, enjoy your spouse and all. It, nothing wrong with that. But if you think it's always going to be perfect, you're headed for a heartache. And how many people do that? And what happens is when it doesn't pan out, and that, you know, because what's the unrealistic expectation? Soulmate, which does imply that they're going to be perfect and everything's going to be great and we'll never argue, we'll never disagree, they'll think like me, they'll act like me, they'll, no, what? Give it up. And so what happens is you, but you keep pressing it, but it's got to work out and they got to think like me and they got to act like me and it, it'll never happen. But you keep pressing that, what, what, what do you do? What's society do? Well, I guess I was wrong. So they're off into another search. They go dump that person instead of make the best of what you got. They go dump that person in search for that next supposed soulmate and perfect thing, and they leave a trail of destruction over and over again. Because it's like, listen, give it up. It's not going to be perfect. Make the best of what you got. Trust God. Do it his way. Okay? Uh, also, I would say that, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, that, uh, you, know, you know, Ken and Jess, you're young whippersnappers, right? Your skin's still relatively tight. But something else impacts your marriage you got to be prepared for. It's not perfect. It's called this age thing. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed after a while that the spirit of Sagacon takes you over and your once buff muscles start developing wings and, and you flap away in the wind and it's like, what happened? Right? You get old. You change, right? And a lot of people, they, they build their relationship off of superficial external things. And you're in for a heartache. Because reality is going to set in one day, okay? For instance, ladies, you look over one day at your husband, and you notice, correct me if I'm wrong, you notice that he's got this large, bulbous thing growing out of his midsection. It wasn't there when he walked down the aisle, right? And so you're sitting there going, what, what happened to him, man? Did, did he ingest tapeworms last time he was out hunting? Uh, maybe they're multiplying in there. He's eating for 12 now. He's swelling up. Uh, should I call a doctor? Is it going to pop? Is it going to blow? What's going on? Right? Or maybe you say, oh, I get it. He's, he's trying to identify with my pain of childbirth when I was carrying our children, but you realize that's not medically possible, so you scream, oh! <laughs> Guys, maybe this has happened to you. Maybe one day you wake up and, 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 and you look over at your wife and you discover she's not quite the same gorgeous woman that walked down that aisle. You may not want to post this picture on Facebook. 
You roll over in bed, you see that she's got two sliced cucumbers stuck in her eyeballs, and she's looking like an alien. They've been there all night, so they're shriveled up. They're all dry. It looks like she's got mold coming out of her head. Then the tongue's hanging out, drool's coming off of it. It's run down her cheek. You can see that dry, crusty ghoul trail, and then her makeup's coming off, and her hair's all messed up. Worse yet, she wakes up first and sees you don't have any hair. <laughs> Ken and Jess, it's going to happen. Right? It's going to happen. And if your relationship's built on this lie, and it's, that's the meaning of life, and it's just a perfect life, you're headed for a heartache. Meaningless, meaningless. Vanity of vanities. How many people today are hurting themselves, hurting others, sacrificing their lives, paying for all these injections and things just to... It's, listen, deal with it. It's going to happen. Don't base your relationship on that. It's not that relationships are bad, but ultimately, the only relationship that can satisfy you completely is Jesus Christ. Now, when a couple builds a relationship on that individually, when they do uh, have their relationship corporately, it's way better, right? But it's never going to be perfect, but it's much better. Relationships are so important, he says, and great, but they will not, and they cannot make an incomplete person incomplete. Now, that's probably the biggest blank ever. Cannot make an incomplete person complete. I'll say it again. Cannot make an imperfect person. Uh, person complete. So let's get to the last chapter now. All right, what is the meaning of life then? So we saw the things that don't work. We saw the things that our society says every single week. Here's what it is. Here's what it is. And it's a lie. It's a bankrupt. Well, let's take a look. What does bring joy, peace, and meaning to our lives? Well, if you tilt your head this way and you look like Pat Benatar, apparently, you can answer the question. That's what we're going to do tonight. In the book of Ecclesiastes, the writers with all these things uh, 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 that we think ought to bring joy and uh, he deals with them and renders them meaningless. So this leaves us obviously with the question, okay, Mr. Pessimistic, uh, what does bring happiness, joy, and meaning? Well, let's take a look at that. The writer of Ecclesiastes answers this question in two ways. First, in the midst of telling us what does not bring meaning, that's what we've been seeing for the last few weeks, he sprinkles verses throughout the book with part of the answer. So let's look at the following verses uh, that create a common thread throughout the book. Okay, chapter 2, verse 24 through 25. A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and, underline this, find satisfaction. Means you need to discover it. Means you need to look for it. Find satisfaction in what? In your work. Find satisfaction in your work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God, as you're blank there. This is the hand of God, for without him, who can eat or find, uh, in, eat or find enjoyment, okay? Uh, chapter uh, 3 Verse 12 through 13, I know that there's nothing better for men than to be happy and do good while they live. Right? Underline that, do good. Right? How many of you guys realize that when you do bad, kind of makes it worse in life? So it would behoove you to try to do good. Right? Doesn't mean it's going to be perfect, but it's a much better way to go. Okay? And that's what you know, we said many times before. Name one commandment in the scripture that's bad for us. Why does God even have the do nots in there? Because if you do those things that he says do not, they hurt you, right? God's never been hung up on rules. The reason why we have so many do nots is because of the uh, purveyance of sin, and he's trying to protect us. But you do good, okay, is what he says there. That he says that, uh, that you may live, okay, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is the gift of God. Right? So he talks about work there specifically, not just doing good, but specifically work. He says, find satisfaction in that. Find satisfaction in that. Okay? This is a gift from God. This is from the hand of God. Why? 
right? Because most of us, what is it, it drilled into our heads? Oh, work is bad. Work is, work is horrible. Ugh, ugh. Just, just something to get by and just means nothing just for a patient. No. Now, if your attitude, we've talked about this before, if your attitude at your workplace is just about a paycheck, uh, you're in a heap of trouble. And it is not going to be joyful. And you probably won't be able to find satisfaction because you got it reversed. You know, I shared before, in the past, when I was going to Bible college, working, uh, going to school at night, going, working full-time during the day uh, for about seven years, uh, then uh, it was a challenge. You know, I was, I was chomping at the bit. I was wanting to get in ministry. And man, you know, all this stuff. And it's like, no, listen, you, you got it all wrong. The reason why you're having challenges at your work, the reason why you can't find satisfaction in it, because you got your priorities messed up. The number one reason the Lord worked in my heart that you got, and you, of all places, all employments, all vocations that you could be doing, why this? Right? I don't care what it is. Flipping a burger, doing paperwork, I don't care. Right? Number one, it's a mission field. Right? Gee, what a concept. It must be in the Bible somewhere. Hey, if you're surrounded by non-Christians and you're the only Christian, uh, what are you supposed to do? Witness. Do you think it's by chance? He could have you working over here in this state, in this country, this Why here? They don't know Jesus. Great place to start. In fact, you spend more time at your workplace than anywhere. Body. In fact, sometimes you spend more time at your workplace than you do with your own family. They don't know Jesus. God's giving you an awesome time, right? He's paying you to witness. Whoa! And that's finding satisfaction because your priorities are right, right? Number two, it's not just a mission field. What I learned also is it's a training ground, right? Say, hey, man, I'm a Christian. I go to Sunday services. Yeehaw. I even come to Wednesday night studies. Yeehoo. That's a double yeehaw, yeehoo, right? I mean, this is awesome. I'm learning so much, right? Well, where do you think you get to put it into practice? Right? Scripture says, don't just be a hearer of the word, be a, what? a doer. Right? Have you guys ever noticed that you can know a lot of Scripture, but it doesn't always translate into how you live? So you know, what, you know what happened? It needs to get worked into your heart. So how does it get worked into your heart? Practice. And what better way to practice all the things you're learning on Sundays and Wednesdays, and dare I dream every day that you're individually in the Bible, Preachers can dream, Bobby. <laughs> right? Yeah, okay. Where do you think you get to put it into practice? Your workplace. What better way to be trained to live and love and speak and behave like Jesus than being surrounded by a whole bunch of people who don't love Jesus? Yeah! Ooh, double satisfaction. And I get paid to do it. Right? You're not going to find satisfaction in your work until you get the right attitude. Right? You are there, number one, for a mission field. Number two, that's where you get to put in the place. This is where you get to glorify God. This is where you get to shine for Jesus. As well as the other places in your neighborhood, the, all the divine appointments God gives you throughout the day, your family. Yes, of course, but your work. Find satisfaction in it, right? And by the way, one of the greatest ways you can glorify God is whatever you do. And I don't care if you're flipping burgers or paperwork. You be the best burger flipper there ever was. You, you file those papers like nobody's business, right? You shine for Jesus, right? There's satisfaction in that. And then that takes your work that you would be tempted to say, man, this is stupid, this is crazy, this is monotonous, this is meaningless. It doesn't become meaningless anymore when you're doing it for Jesus. You got it? It's purposeful, eternally purposeful, if you have the right priorities. Then, of course, yes, uh, you got a paycheck, okay? But you get paid to do this. Isn't that awesome? You find satisfaction in that. That's a gift from God. Also, I would say, how many of you guys realize that uh, you talk about it's a work is a gift from God? I mean, a gift from God would be, I wouldn't have to work. And that's what we've been trained to think, right? Well, actually, spiritually, 
uh, if you really think about this, uh, when is it that we typically get in the most trouble spiritually? When we got too much time on our hands. And what does the old flesh nature do? You do pretty good for a while, maybe three minutes. <laughs> but, you know, by the end of the day, your mind's what? I wonder what I could do. La, 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 la. Right? Too much time in your hands, right? The devil's playground, the old saying, right? And so guess what? Is it, you think it's by chance that after Adam immediately sin nature, the fall, what was God's curse to Adam? You will now work. I think there's a blessing, if you will, in the midst of the curse. Because now you have less time to sin. Less time to sit around going, oh, I wonder what sin I could do now. Find satisfaction. This is a gift from God. This is from the hand of God. All right, uh, chapter 3, uh, verse 22 says this. So I saw that there was nothing better for a man than to enjoy his work. Because this is his lot. For who can bring him to see what will happen after him? In other words, Matthew 6, what's Jesus say? One day at a time. Each day has got enough trouble of its own, right? Just one day at a time. Don't go into a future you don't even know you're going to have. Don't go in the past that you cannot change. If you've got to learn, learn from it. Yes, but live today. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. Do it for Jesus. You're going to find satisfaction that one day at a time. You can enjoy it now, Right? Moves on, five, uh, chapter 5, 18. Then I realized that it is good and proper for a man to eat and drink and to find satisfaction in his toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given him, for this is his lot. Okay? Uh, chapter 18, verse, uh, or 8, verse 15. So I commend the enjoyment of life because nothing is better for a man under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany him in his work all the days of the life God has given him under the sun. Uh, chapter 9, verse 7 through 9. Go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for it is now, not tomorrow, not in the past, it is now that God favors what you do. Always be clothed in white, always anoint your head with oil, and he throws this one in. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love. Right? So let's put it all together on the next page, right? And wrap this up together. We've been taking several weeks of what we know cannot provide that satisfaction and meaning in life. But where can we find? Well, according to the book, here's some answers. It almost sounds too simple. He basically says, look around you. Look at the blessings God has given you today. And so what? Guess what? Enjoy the blessings, right? Enjoy the blessings is your blank there. Be glad and thankful about them. Have you ever noticed that all the stuff that you kind of sometimes complain about, but if you were to just stop and think of all the good things about that person or that situation or that thing, it's not really that bad. And sometimes when you think you really got it that bad, if you do what the song says, count your blessings one by one, then you'll see what the Lord has done. Remember we talked about, I think it was in the discipleship study, one of the neat things in the Old Testament that God had the Israelites do is he'd have them set up these memory stones. Everyone's like, why does he always have them put, pile up these stones? Why is he talking about these stones? Why? Those were for them to remember. And, he, and then he would say, and don't forget, tell this to your kids, right, what I did for you. Don't forget, tell them to your kids, and your kids see their eyes. So why is God having them remember stuff? Why is he having them repeat stuff? Because you know what? We always seem to focus on those couple negative things, but we forget the 5,100 million ways that God has blessed us. Isn't that it? So we don't, unless you guys want to, I guess it'd be kind of weird, but we can start setting up stones in the parking lot, but people probably run over them and ruin their tires and it'll cause another problem, Tom. And I don't, let's not do that or whatever. It'll hog up the room in the playground and the kids will get on and fall off. And we'd stop being pessimistic. But, uh, we, you know, but we don't set up stones today, right? 
But we do need to do that. Do you guys take a time every day? I've, had, I've learned to do that. I'm not saying it's too my horn. I've had to learn to do this probably over the last four years. In 22 years being saved, it's like you think you would have got it earlier. Every day, not only first thing when I get out of bed, thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul. Thank you for saving me 22 years ago on the corner of Auburn and Greenback in Sacramento, California, having mercy on me and rescuing me from hell. Oh, yeah. And then specifically calling out major life events that God provided the breakthrough and purposely either write them down and or remember them. God, thank you for providing that breakthrough for us. God, thank, oh, I remember that, God, last year, man. We thought, man, what are we going to do? And you did it, and this, woo, right? And you just, I mean, you start off like that. It's like, wow, life was awesome. And then present your request or whatever, however, you know, that's between you and God. But take the time to recount what God is doing. Enjoy what he's doing. Are you kidding me? He is so blessed our socks off. It's awesome, right? Especially when you look at other countries. Right? As we talked about that last time. We are so blessed here. What are we whining and complaining about? Life is awesome. Enjoy the blessings. Find satisfaction in today. Appreciate what he's done. It'll radically change your attitude. Okay? Uh, we got food to eat. We got clothes to wear. We got uh, typically a job or some sort of income coming in or something, whatever. We got a spouse or relationship, most of us and all things. Hey, life is good. Life is good. That, that's just icing on the cake. Right? is what he's talking about. Mike Cope uh, once pointed out that God didn't have to make eating fun. <laughs> I love this. We, we could have just been created to suck up nutrients like a plant. <laughs> wouldn't, that free, wouldn't it be cool? This Sunday, Lord willing, we're going to have another potluck. Go figure, right? Wouldn't it be cool if we, we were over there and we pray, and, and, and God, please bless his food, etc., etc., etc. In Jesus' name, amen. And all of a sudden, you saw everybody go... <laughs> Wouldn't it be freaky? And if you were a newcomer and you came to a church and you saw it, what would you do? You'd run, right? That's not a joy. That's freaky. That's right. Aren't you glad that God made eating food fun? Well, let's have some fun with this, right? You're not sucking it up like a plant. That ain't fun, right? How many of you guys say, hey, let's have a potluck? And we all ingest energy by photosynthesis. Mm. Oh, that was so awesome. Mm. Get a napkin. Right? God made food eating fun. All right? I'm going somewhere with this. Hang with me. Right? <laughs> How many of you guys ate a meal in your car last week? Fast food, whatever, stuff like that. Always in a big, giant hurry is, is the issue, right? And then we're a fast food culture, right? We pride ourselves in working through our lunch, right? Ecclesiastes say, stop! Put the phone down. Put the cell phone down. Let the answer machine pick it up. Enjoy your meal with your family. Why? Because it's a gift from God. Now, this actually started for us. It's kind of an ongoing joke in our house with the buffets. But back when I was pastoring in New York, uh, as you guys know, uh, uh, weather permitting, you really didn't get to do a whole lot, at least compared to West Coast living, right? And it was a major adjustment for us because it's like, all right, let's, I get one day off, Fridays. Right? Let's go do something. I'm ready to go have some fun with the kids and the wife too. And so, <laughs> and you open up the door. It's like, ah, it's raining. All right, let's not do that. All right, next Friday. Hey, it's going to get it. Hey, it's going. Hey, it's 20 below. Okay, stay inside the house, right? Hey, it's grassy. The kids. Hey, it's snowing. It's not here. So there was a lot. Of, 
So like all of a sudden, I want to spend time with the family, right? And so um, uh, we didn't have the cornucopia of food places here. So, but I want to go spend some time with the family. I want to go do a guy thing and eat a guy meal, right? So they have this old country buffet. You ever hear of those places? Old country buffet. It's like a smaller version of Golden Corral. Really small version. But anyway, so I, I was excited about it. So we actually got on this kick every, ask Brandy, every Friday. We're going to that buffet. And I'm not making this up. We had one guy, when I told you the story about uh, how we had this uh, Ford Taurus and it finally blew out, right? And we had that thing paid off. It was awesome, no car payments. And I was, like, I was praying in the basement. I says, God, I, I don't really want to choke down another car payment, but, you know, you know we need another car. You know, Brandy's home with the kids, homeschool, and I, I got to go, you know, drive around, so we can't have, we need another vehicle. <clears throat> Two days later, I get an email from a guy. He basically gives us this Mazda Tribute four-wheel drive, leather seats, heated seats, good for back there. It was awesome, free, right? So that was cool. Anyway, I got that, and so here comes the Friday, right? Because we developed a phrase. It was this, family time is buffet time, right? <laughs> Okay, and so I get out this one Friday. We just got that thing, and it was snowing. We got the door, dun, dun, dun. and it was like, oh, no, you don't. I got four-wheel drive. Remember that? We were driving through a snowstorm, man, right? Because I am going to have family time. Now, here's the deal. It finally started to dawn on me. My kids are still sick of it today. It dawned on me. No, it really was for me. I'm crazy, stinking busy, right? I don't eat lunch. I just keep plowing through. I, I live that schedule. I got one day off, and I, 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 I miss my family. I want to spend time with family, and I don't want to sit around. You know, it was so funny. We did this just the other night, right? We were up in the family room upstairs, right? And uh, Mike was over there, and he was on uh, his cell phone. Uh, I was over here doing research on the laptop. Rebecca was over here on another laptop. Billy was on the Kindle. And then we were like, it was completely silent. All you hear is, it's for at least a good hour right? And then all of a sudden, I just couldn't take it anymore. I was done with what mine. I closed it. I said, hey, Mike, that's some good family time, wasn't it? We bonded. <laughs> it's like the change in culture, right? So this was the time. I, there's none of that stuff. Phone, just like he said, stop. And we take our time at that buffet, and I make my giant salad that people stare at, right? And we talk. And I love that. I still love that. It's a talk. It's good. It's good because everything's shut off. It's it's all, it, food, meal, sharing a meal together. That's awesome. Families typically, typically, the uh, average kid talks to their parent one on one over a whole week, less than a half hour, and that's not even really meaningful talk. It's like get your shoes on. You know what? And you wonder why relationships fall apart. Right? And why there's such a strain. Now, I'll, I'll tell you this. It didn't dawn on me until about a month, two months after we moved here. And we've got this New York thing going on. Family time is buffet time. Family time is buffet time. Family time. Right? You got Joel and This is you. Wait a second. God moved us to Vegas, the buffet capital of the world. <laughs> this is awesome. I love it here. Anyway, let's move on. So, family time, that's what he's saying right is eating food it's good stop enjoy it okay you know paul what did paul say in the scripture didn't he say hey i buffet my body 
No, it's Buffett. It's Buffett. I, I had to say that one. Okay, but I'm not making this up, folks. This is, for, this is to find satisfaction in. This is to find meaning. This is to help your relationships. This is to enjoy. How many times did he say over there, enjoy, 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 eat? It wasn't just work. It wasn't just toil. It wasn't just your spouse. He said, eat and drink. Why? There's something about, as crazy as it is, having potlucks, we get to know each other better. Uh, there's no distractions. We have time for communication in the conversation. Enjoy it. Enjoy it while you got Acts chapter 2 real quick, because I'm not making this up. Acts chapter 2. Let's take a look real quick. And this is actually the early church. And when, I'm telling you, man, when you can just get some good fellowship, healthy fellowship, it's not just good for you. It's a powerful witness, right? Because what's the rest of our world doing? They're still going crazy, right? They don't have time for anything. They don't stop and share a meal. They don't stop and have a, a conversation. They don't stop to get to know one another, right? But Acts chapter 2, let's take a look there. And uh, verse 42 through 47. And uh, listen to what the early church was doing. Listen, listen to what happened as a result there. Okay? And it says there, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship of the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and their goods, and they gave to everyone as they had need every day. They continued to meet together in the temple courts. Listen, they even what? Broke bread in their homes, and they what? They ate together with what? Glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And what happened? And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You betcha. How many people today in our world today are looking for that kind of family? They don't have that in their family. They don't have time. You don't sit down and even share. They've never had a meal together as a family. Or they don't even have a complete family. Or their family's busted up. We talked about this before in the Supreme Court decision, the statistics there, if you recall. But why do so many people get involved in gangs? What does the gang give them that they never had? A family. And when you and I as Christians, we simply just enjoy our blessings, share a meal together, eat, work, do it for Jesus. He blesses it. And it's a great witness. We're just doing our thing, right? We're not, that would freak people out. We're just hanging out, man, having fun, enjoying, finding satisfaction. It's a powerful witness, all right? Okay, but that's just with the food. How many guys went to work last week? This week, yesterday, sometime, okay? The book is saying your job is a gift from God, is your blank there. Your job is a gift from God, okay? You should try to enjoy it or try to find a job that you do uh, enjoy, okay? Ephesians, real quick, chapter 6. Turn there real quick. Ephesians, chapter 6. Verse 5 through 9, okay, talks about what is our attitude to be, again, at a workplace, okay? And I think it's going to help with your satisfaction level, so to speak. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5 says, Slaves, obey your earthly matters with what? Respect and what? Fear, right? And with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey who? Jesus Christ, right? Okay, obey them not only to win their favor because you want that raise, you want that day off, or what? No, no, no. And not when their eyes on you. It's like, oop, I better get it working now. He's looking at me. Right? You do it all the time. Why? You, but like slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving who? The Lord, not men. Why? Because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he's slave or free. 
So again, you do it, you do the right thing, and you are the best employee that they've ever seen. Why? Just because you want to get that raise? No. Now they might, they might not, but that's not your focus. Of all places, of all vocation that God has called me to do, this is a mission field, this is a training ground, and this is a place where I can show them and shine for Jesus Christ. How? By being a horrible employee. No, being the best one they ever saw. The one who doesn't complain. The one who always has a positive attitude. The one that says, yes, sir, how high, sir, anything else I can do. You want me to sweep the floor again? What would you like me to do? That is so obtuse. That's just basic Christianity. But that is so obtuse to people's behavior today that it just leads them like, whoa, what's up with you? Right? Well, I, I, what, we're, hey, listen, let me tell you about Jesus. Now, not just with if you're an employee, but an employer. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, uh, and there is no favoritism with him. So, right? so don't be some tyrant, and not just whether or not you own the business, but if you're in a management position. Don't be a weasel head. Don't be mean to them. Right? You want to be treated that way? Don't let the power, don't let the position go to your head. But you be good. You be kind. You be respectful. Don't you remember when you were just the employee? Right? Have you forgotten that? You do it for Jesus. You show them what godly leadership looks like. Right? But you do that for Jesus. Okay? How many of you spent time with your wife or husband or your kids or with good friends? Okay? These moments are gifts from God. Okay? Gifts from God. Joy, meaning peace, and life can't be found in wealth, fame, power, money, wisdom, or education. It can't be found in dwelling in the past or living in the future. However, it can be found in this day, okay? Doing what God has called you to do, doing it for Him, counting your blessings, finding satisfaction in that, and when you do that for Him, whatever you do, it takes on eternal value. Now, what happens, whether it be our workplace, or, oh, by the way, did you know we're supposed to serve Jesus Christ too? Not just in our workplace, but what he needs to do. We're supposed to serve one another in the church. We're supposed to help one another in the church. We're supposed to help. We're supposed to be that family. It all kicks into gear. Because we all know that's one of the benefits of getting married and having kids. The husband and the kids get to sit around. And there was awkward silence. Right? No, you all work together, right? You're a family, right? Everybody pitches in, everybody helps. Right? Same thing with the, the church. And what happens is even sometimes, not just in the workplace, but even sometimes in the church place, uh, the enemy tricks us into ruining it, right? And we don't only have a bad attitude about secular work, but we got this bad attitude when it comes to helping out in the church, right? We take a ministry. What is more important? What is more exciting than doing something for Jesus and then what you were doing, that act, that behavior, that gift, that calling, whatever it is, lasts forever, has eternal significance? Well, the enemy comes in, he tricks you into thinking it's a job. You know, I've shared this before, but I want to share it again. This, this is the acid test. Whether it's your workplace, that is to be unto the Lord, whether it's your service in the church, is it a job or is it a ministry? And maybe it's because you've got this job mentality as to why you can't find satisfaction there. Puts it this way, is, if you do it because no one else will, it's a job. If you do it to serve the Lord, it's a ministry. If you do it just enough to get by, it's a job. If you do it to the best of your ability, it's a ministry. If you quit because somebody criticized you, it was a job. If you keep on serving, it's a ministry. If you quit because no one praised you, it was a job. If you do it because you think it needs to be done, it's a ministry. If your concern is just success, it's a job. 
If your concern is faithfulness to Jesus Christ, it's a ministry. It's hard to get excited about a job, but it's almost impossible not to get excited about a ministry. Average churches are made up of many people doing many jobs. Great churches are made up of many people who are involved in ministry. People may say, well done when you do your job, but the Lord will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, when you complete your ministry. Whether that's in the church, whether that's in the workplace, whether it's being a spouse or a dad or a mom. Everything that we do is, whatever, what's the scripture say? Whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all for yourself because it's all about you. No, whatever you do in work or deed, do it all for who? God. So when you live life and you work and sometimes it's toil and you have these relationships and you spend time with each other, you can find satisfaction in all of it because now it's transcending just the meaningless. I'm doing this for Jesus. I'm, loving, I'm being that best godly husband or that best godly uh, wife for, for Jesus. I'm being that best godly father, mother for Jesus. I, I'm being that best neighbor for Jesus. I'm being that best coworker or employee or employer for Jesus. I'm being that best servant in the church for Jesus. And that covers everything throughout any given day. And when you live with that mindset, wow, life is good. Count your blessings one by one. Lord willing, next week we're going to get her finished up, uh, hopefully, Lord willing, uh, this chapter. And that's right, then we'll be off to the new study. That's right, world, religions, cults, and the occult. Anyway, Don's excited about it. Let's close in prayer. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief, okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how 
uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ. The Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved. Jesus Christ has now become a cuss word. Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God, and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell, 
and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.